Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Justin Peters. I hope that you and your family are doing well today. I want to thank you so very much for joining me for this podcast. I had the special privilege today of interviewing Josh Bice. Josh is the pastor of Praise Mill Baptist Church in Douglasville, Georgia, which is northwest of the Atlanta area. And I'm interviewing him because a couple of days ago, as of this recording, Josh made a lot of news. And he did so when he made the announcement that he and his fellow elders have made the decision for their church, Praise Mill, to leave the Southern Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist denomination. And they had 100% support from their congregation to do so. And uh, they cited as their reasons for leaving the SBC the liberal drift within the SBC. Now, when he said that, a lot of the SBC elite came out and they derided this. No, there's no liberal drift in the SBC. In fact, if you follow such things on social media, you know that they have been saying that anytime it's brought up, there's no liberal drift in the SBC. Well, the fact of the matter is that there is liberal drift in the SBC. It's very real. And so I wanted to give Josh this opportunity, this platform to just come and and talk about these things. They wrote an article that I will link to down in in the description, but um, sometimes it's good to to hear and see um, see a face and hear a voice, and I think that if you'll watch this interview, you'll see that he's um, he's a really nice guy. Josh is a nice guy. I've known him for about five years. Really, really good guy. Uh, tremendous pastor's heart, and, and that comes through in this interview. So um, I hope that you will watch this all the way through. And uh, I will say that there is a there's a bit of a technical issue when you. When you watch Josh, his audio, my audio is fine for some reason. We did this on Zoom. No offense to Zoom, but uh, for some reason, his audio is just about, it's just a fraction of a second, maybe a tenth of a second or so off. And so it's a little bit annoying, but just uh, bear with it. The content is good. So uh, thank you very much, dear ones, for watching this. And without any further delay, here's Josh. Josh, thank you so much for joining us, brother. Good to be with you, Justin. Well, it's an honor. Um, Josh, most of the folks watching us right now will probably be at least somewhat familiar with you and uh, the ministry of G3. But for those of for those who are watching who are not, tell us a little bit about yourself and your maybe even a touch on your conversion and, and your pastorate there at, at Praise Mill. Yeah, thank you, Justin. Well, uh, I, I have the privilege of serving Praise Mill Baptist Church on the west side of Atlanta, Georgia, um, sort of a unique situation for me and my family uh, because I grew up here in the context of this local church. And after I was saved and since the call to ministry, I was sent out from this church to seminary and then would eventually uh, pastor two other churches, one in Kentucky when I was um, a seminary student at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And then I also pastored in Middle Tennessee prior to being called back here to where my wife and I grew up as children. We grew up in the context of this church. We met somewhere in the hallways of this church building. Wow. We remember when we first met. 
And so, really, you remember when you first met her? Yeah, no. Well, we don't actually remember. Oh, you don't. So, okay. We so young as children, we just grew up in in the context of this church, and huh. so it just was the fact we were just children here, and so that that that's that backstory is I think in, extremely important for me because. Um, I had the privilege of serving people who served us as children. And, and of course, now with yeah. our family being here, I serve as the pastor of my in-laws, my parents, my grandmother. Uh, so it's a, it's a unique privilege. And then also with, with the reality that, um, you know, I've been a member of three churches in my life and I've pastored all three of them because I started here and now I've uh, come circle and I'm back in my home church setting, but uh, all three of those churches have been Southern Baptist churches. Now, when I came into the life of this church at age seven, my parents had gone through a horrific custody battle and uh, there was divorce and a broken home, broken marriage, all of that. And so I was a young, confused boy and my grandfather had taken me to church when I was about six years of age, and I made a profession of faith in Christ. Um, I came into Praise Mill Baptist Church when I was seven. They counseled with me regarding membership. I told them that I had, quote unquote, asked Jesus into my heart, and they would eventually baptize me at about age seven. And so it would not be until I was 25 as a member of this church engaged in various different uh, ministry endeavors in the context of Praise Mill that I was converted after graduating college and working in Atlanta, Georgia. I was listening to a sermon on the internet when the Lord saved me. Hmm. And so at that point, my life radically changed and had a hunger for preaching, a hunger for uh, teaching and, and evangelizing and would go and preach and teach and jails and nursing homes and various other places, and then would eventually end up resigning from my job and moving away to pursue formal training for ministry. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I've known you for about five years or so, I guess, but I've never really heard that detail of your testimony. And I rejoice in that. I think so. I I wrote a book on that very subject about how so many kids, you know, I was the same way. I was, I was, baptized when I was seven years old in a Southern Baptist church and was not converted until uh, much, much, much later, well into my adulthood. So anyway, but uh, praise the Lord for that. So, so Josh, I guess moving into the the subject matter for our interview today, that the, the big news has been that uh, you and the elders there at Praise Mill have led your church to leave the Southern Baptist convention. Um, Walk us through a little bit of, of why you're why you felt compelled to make that decision and uh, what has led to that. Yeah, Justin, that's a great question. Um, through the years, I've had the conviction that to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, I thought it would be wise and good for me to be a part of the annual meetings. So I've taken time every summer to go to the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. I've gone to state convention meetings. I've I've been involved in various different ways in local associational meetings through the years as well. However, um, as we've 
been watching the what I would consider to be the liberal drift of the Southern Baptist Convention over the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, things have really picked up speed uh, in the last you know three to five years. But it's been through that last decade that I've been sort of watching the trends and listening to the sermons and reading the books and attending the meetings and sort of watching the direction that things were headed. And through the elected leaders of the SBC, from you know the, the seminary level all the way to the national level uh, w- with regards to the ERLC and Russell Moore and others, we've been able to see a, a, a definite leftward lean and drift of the convention. Mm-hmm. And so we disassociated ourselves and negative designated uh, in years past and just tried to support missions and various different, you know, moves, you might say, from a leadership standpoint regarding our affiliation with the SBC. But uh, really back in 2018, uh, I was a part of that group, of course, uh, yourself included, others that uh, we were noticing these trends and these problems as it pertains to social justice. And we met in Dallas, Texas, to talk about this issue of social justice and the gospel. And then what came out of that meeting was the statement on social justice and the gospel. Well, when I went into that meeting, Justin, I was actually uh, saddened by the state of affairs, you might say, but, but I was hopeful, but I had really no idea coming out of that meeting. Once we published the statement, what would transpire that there would be individuals who would double down the way that they did and, posture themselves the way they did and really attack us in our intentions with the statement on social justice and the gospel. And so really what we've seen is a bright light that's been uh, shining down upon these individuals that's exposed them. It's really exposed their motives. It's exposed their, mm-hmm. their, um, their agenda in many ways. We've been calling this a social justice agenda, and then we've been critiqued for that. Right. Look at what's happened through the uh, endorsement of critical race theory and intersectionality. Um, keep in mind, when we went to that meeting in 2018, the the resolution nine was not in existence at that point. Right. So coming out of the release of the statement on social justice and the gospel, then the leaders of the SBC led the convention to adopt Resolution 9 on critical race theory and intersectionality. Yeah, okay. And for those who may not be familiar with it, Resolution 9 uh, said that uh, critical race theory can be used as an analytical tool to help us in, in our gospel work. Yeah, and so for me, when I'm, I'm seeing that, and the elders that I serve with here in the context of our local church— we had once been, you know, very much happy to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, a convention that had stood for biblical inerrancy, fought the war on, you know, the, the, the Bible, so to speak, the battle for the Bible, and, you know, moved through that era of the conservative resurgence. Yeah. But now we're watching a convention and leaders that are instead of standing on the, the authority of the Bible, if you will, they're actually embracing and endorsing godless ideologies 
ideologies that are antithetical to the gospel and to the scriptures. Right. And so I've been a part of private meetings and I've been a part of public meetings. I've been a part of groups that have tried to have conversations behind closed doors with leaders and sought to work for change within the convention. But finally, moving into the 2021 annual meeting in Nashville, when I watched the politics continue and the election of Ed Litton as the president of the convention became abundantly clear to me that we were at a point where to continue to be a part of this group was a violation of my conscience as a leader Mm -hmm. to take trusted resources, financially speaking, and to put it into the life of the Southern Baptist Convention at any level whatsoever was in in many ways a violation of my conscience and I believe a misuse of those funds. And so because these leaders are refusing to repent, then we had no other choice but to disassociate ourselves with the SBC. Now, the election of Ed Litton was bad enough at the beginning. I mean, he's definitely not complementarian. He coaches with his wife and all sorts of other issues. But then after the election, when what's now known as the sermon gate, and you've done a really good job of exposing that and, and providing commentary on that, he was exposed as plagiarizing J.D. Greer's sermons. Well, you would think that these leaders in the SBC would call for his resignation, but instead they've actually practiced what we have come to know as the 11th commandment, a refusal to critique any of the other leaders or entity leaders of the SBC. So instead of critiquing or asking for him to step aside, they've actually embraced him publicly brought him into the seminary circles as an example to young men who are preparing for the, the, yeah. the pulpit ministry in the local church and then applauded him. That's right. exactly what happened with Adam Greenway at Southwestern right. Seminary. And then, of course, during the election of Ed Litton, we saw Danny Aiken taking to Twitter to encourage the messengers to vote for Ed Litton. So again, yeah. at this point, it seems like it would be embarrassing for us to continue to be associated with the SBC. We would have to wear a paper sack over our heads to go to the convention. Yeah, indeed, Josh. Yeah, I I share those exact same sentiments with you. Now, in full disclosure, a lot of people think I'm Southern Baptist. I'm not. I used to be born and reared in a Southern Baptist church, and um, I got two degrees from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, but I've been out of the denomination now for about 11 years for the same reasons that you're articulating here. Um, Shocking to me, as as you said, that is bad enough that Ed Litton plagiarized voluminous amounts in his sermons, but to be given a platform at Southern Baptist seminaries and, and Ed Litton lied right on the platform in front of everyone lied and he was applauded and That is just, uh, that is shocking to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is shocking to me as well. And, and as I, as I think about the context where I serve here, this is, this is a historic Baptist church in Georgia. It's the oldest Baptist church in all of Douglas County on the West side of Atlanta. Um, It is, it is a church that predates the SBC by three Mm -hmm. years. 
And so I've been asked by members of this church leading up to the vote. I've been asked uh, by people outside of this congregation, what are our plans as we think about the future? And as I think about the reason that the SBC is really in existence, it's for a couple of primary things. One is theological education. So you have the seminary entities and colleges. And then, of course, you have the church planting and mission uh, entities or agencies, if you will. And so for us, once we have lost confidence in the educational entities and the church planting agencies, we would not send members of this church, for the most part, to be members of churches that are planted through the SBC. Nor would we have those elders as elders in this local church. At that point, it's just a logical conclusion. It makes no sense to stay involved or associated with the SBC. So we had to had to disassociate ourselves for convictional and theological reasons, but also it just makes sense at the end of the day as well. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Uh, Josh, you and I talked about this in a, uh, on a phone call yesterday, um, but talking about the doctrinal drift and the liberal drift of, of the SBC, one of the dangers with the social justice movement, it, it's not that at least those in our evangelical circles, they're not outright denying the deity of Christ or the virgin birth. I mean, they're not flat out denying those fundamental doctrines, but but they're saying the gospel is about these things plus social justice and plus, you know, all this other stuff, critical race theory. And, and uh, anytime you say the gospel is about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus plus something, whatever follows that plus always gets the attention, right? Yeah. And then the gospel gets forgotten eventually. Mm-hmm. The doctrinal slide. Yeah, and that's exactly what we're witnessing, and you're right to say that, is that there is a doctrinal drift Mm -hmm. and a theological drift, and we've seen that. And I think really you can trace it back to the SBC's big tent approach to ministry. And if you're going to be big tent and always try to be the quote-unquote largest denomination, evangelical denomination in the country, then what you're going to end up with is you're going to end up with this idea of being a slave to pragmatism, because whatever the culture says you should do, then you're going to have to uh, cave into that. You're going to have to hitch your wagon, so to speak, to that train. And so that's extremely dangerous. And that's exactly what the SBC has done through the years. And, you know, as it pertains to this idea of adding something to the gospel, when you hear people talk, and it's like you said, they get a lot right, but they get a little bit wrong. I, I mm-hmm. think back to Spurgeon's definition of discernment when he said, yeah. you know, it, it's not about just being able to figure out the, you know, what's wrong. It's being able to discern between what's right and what's almost right. Right. And so we need to always be mindful of that. Now, let me just make something very clear. As I as I've led our church and our elders here with me, we've walked our church through this process, and I, I sought to articulate this in the article that I published. I want to be clear that when I'm complaining about the, the big things that we're seeing as it pertains to critical race theory, intersectionality, this doctrinal drift towards the left, 
I will say that I do believe that there are still really good believers in the SBC, professors, missionaries. There are all sorts of really good churches sure. that are still uh, connected to and associating themselves with the SBC. But I think in many ways, a lot of these people uh, were a part of church settings and groups and associations that were a part of what we know as the conservative resurgence. And they said, well, we won the war on the inerrancy of the Bible. And then they sort of fell asleep at some point and they, yeah. they haven't been, you know, been, been made aware or, or paying attention to what's happening at a national level. And so they have failed to see that the SBC, although is a champion in many ways of the inerrancy of the Bible, they have completely lost their way as it pertains to the sufficiency of the Bible. Exactly. Giving themselves over to pragmatism, they have, exactly. they have walked off to the left, and it's a, it's a tragedy. In fact, you and I were in a meeting at Southern Seminary, and, and uh, without going to all the details, I mean, it was admitted to us that when the 2000 BF&M Baptist Faith and Message came out, there was a, a conscious decision to, to leave out sufficiency, to affirm inerrancy, but leave out sufficiency of Scripture. And, and when you leave that out, that's, that's, this is what you get, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if the Bible isn't sufficient, then you're going to need to look for analytical tools from the culture, which is exactly what they've done in recent years. And so it's one thing to go back to 2019 in Birmingham when the SBC voted, and I was actually in the room when it happened, to vote to affirm and to embrace and to adopt Resolution 9 on critical race theory and intersectionality. And I do believe that there was a lot of political posturing and political maneuvering that was at play to bring the convention to a place of actually adopting that resolution. Yeah. But that's a whole nother conversation. But it's one thing to actually make a mistake. But then after two years, because of the break of COVID in 2020, to go into the 2021 convention where we've had a long time to think about this, a long time to talk about it, to, right. to read articles, to write articles, to have conversations. Right. And then to be given opportunities from the floor to officially adopt language that would, that would actually make it abundantly clear to the watching world that the Southern Baptist Convention repudiates critical race theory and intersectionality. They refused to do it at every juncture. Yes. And yeah. That's a tragedy. So yeah. again, we, we see, you know, making a mistake is one thing, but to continue right. to affirm and refuse to admit fault is, is a completely different story. Exactly. You know, it, it would be one thing if, if the leaders of the SBC were just kind of caught flat footed, they didn't know what CRT was and social justice. But now that we've had years to examine this thing, look at it and consider it. And, and yet they still, even, even after years of warning, they still uh, will not take a stand against it and are, and are embracing it. Um, I, I saw an exchange, Josh, I want to ask you about this. So when you made the announcement a couple of days ago, as of, as of this recording, January 6th, um, so this, this gentleman, I don't know who he is, maybe you do, but JT English, he, he responded to your, uh, to, your, to your assertion that there is a liberal drift in the SBC. And he said this, he said, one way to find out if there's a liberal drift, he puts that in quotation marks in the SBC, 
ask actual liberals outside the SBC if they identify with the theological trajectory of the SBC. This stuff is just nonsense. And then J.D. Greer, who is the previous president of the SBC, he responded and he said, great point. I have some liberal dialogue partners, whatever those are, and they definitely don't think we are coming their direction. So what would what would be your response to that? J.D. Greer says his liberal dialogue partners, they don't think the SBC is drifting leftward. So what say you? Yeah, I mean, that's a it's a, it's a great question. Well, I tweeted out, I, I took a screenshot of that, by the way. You might not have seen it, but I tweeted out and I said, you know, you can actually take two boats that are adrift at sea and they can talk to one another all day long if they're not anchored to the to the floor of the ocean. Right. And and yet, you know, until they look down at their compass, they're not going to be able to determine how far off course they really are. So I was urging them to rethink their positions and to actually make scripture their point of reference, not other liberals. Exactly. You know? So that again, once again, when you walk away from the scriptures, you, you open the door for massive theological error. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I don't know if you've had a chance to see the video I did on homosexuality in the SBC, but I would, I would say for those who doubt that there's a liberal drift, just um, this is January. So just six or seven weeks ago, uh, James Merritt, who is a current SBC pastor, former president of the SBC tweeted out and commended and endorsed a sermon preached by his son, Jonathan Merritt, that we take no, we take no satisfaction in this or pleasure. Sadly, we say he is an open homosexual, openly so. And James Merritt endorsed this sermon from his son, and he called it brilliant and faithful to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of in the same vein of what we were talking about a second ago, it's not just that he made a mistake and that's a big mistake, but when, when others criticize this rightly, so he doubled down on it, he tripled down on it. And there was no rebuke from any of the SBC presidents. None of them called him to repent of this. And so here we have a prominent pastor, SBC pastor, former president, endorsing a sermon by an open homosexual. And I watched the sermon. There was no gospel in it at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're a homosexual, you don't believe the gospel. Exactly. And not going to preach it. And so James Merritt has lost his way. This is a man who was once a towering Southern Baptist leader in, in Georgia Baptist circles and very much closely connected to Al Mohler and preached yeah. one of the, the sermons there, I believe, even uh, at the installation of Moeller as president at Southern Seminary. And so, uh, once again, uh, a massive capitulation. And then you take that with David Platt's church and the recent video that surfaced yes. with mm-hmm. you know, what one of their leaders that was uh, making statements about, you yeah. know, the fact that maybe Jesus experienced gender dysphoria. I mean, look, we have literally lost our way as Southern Baptist. And so, you know, this is the right time and the right move for our local church to disassociate with a group of leaders that have completely capitulated on massive theological issues. Absolutely. I mean, you really, 
have to have your head in the sand to not see a liberal drift. I, I mean, it's just, it, it's absolutely undeniable. And uh, uh, I've shared this with you, Josh, and this is just my own opinion and, and uh, evaluation of things. But it seems to me, you know, when you, when you think of the judgment of God, we often think of earthquakes, fires, famines, pestilences, those, you know, dramatic things, Sodom and Gomorrah, fire rain fire down from heaven, that kind of stuff. But the, but the real judgment of God often is his abandonment when he gives people over. And when, when you see a denomination that prides itself on inerrancy of scripture and yet welcoming female preachers, in some cases, female pastors, but at least female preachers and embracing social justice and now embracing sermons preached by open homosexuals. That that's what judgment looks like. Is it not? Do you, do you agree? I do agree. Yeah, I absolutely do. And, you know, again, like you made the point, sometimes, you know, judgment is not cataclysmic in some sort of natural way using the natural laws that God created, but sometimes it's just giving people what they want. And, you know, that's quite apparent as it becomes, uh, you know, evident week after week with the, uh, the, the, the drift of the SBC and the leadership of the SBC. So it would be my prayer that they would repent. It would be my prayer that they would actually abandon the 11th commandment. It would be my prayer that they would actually admit fault and that they would actually institute a means of, you know, inner dialogue and, uh, you know, cross entity critique of one another, uh, which would actually make the SBC more healthy than it would uh, weaken the SBC. And so, um, but as many people have suggested, uh, we've probably reached a place where the SBC will not recover yeah. that there's likely not going to be a second conservative resurgence. Yeah. Cause these, the leaders in the SBC today, that they are the conservative resurgence. I mean, these are the guys that supposedly won it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, last year, 2021 at the Southern Baptist convention, uh, that was in Nashville, you know, in the, in the South. And, um, it was kind of, I've referred to it as the, as the high watermark, or at least should have been the high watermark for the conservatives to marshal their forces and get there and, and, um, and, and right the ship, or at least keep the ship from falling off the, the cliff or the falls, but that didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was in the room, Justin, I can tell you that when there were attempts at the microphone during public debate opportunities, to specify language of critical race theory and intersectionality to distance ourselves officially from and to repudiate these godless ideologies. There was applause from the floor when individuals were called out of order or called down from the microphones. And it was quite revealing at that point that we had reached a critical moment in the history of the Southern Baptist Convention. Right, right. Yeah, I just don't see how what mechanism would be in place. And and even if there were some token uh capitulation to theological conservative uh thought, it it's been said a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Um so I mean this this should be it, the, the very fact that we're even having these discussions shows you how far the SBC has slid. 
Um, Josh, let me ask you this. There's, there's undoubtedly a lot of Southern Baptist pastors watching us right now. And as you rightly said, there, there are some good men who are serving as pastors in Southern Baptist churches. Um, I have friends who are good, faithful men serving as pastors of Southern Baptist churches, a number of them. But there's a lot of men, I think, probably watching us right now, and they see the same things you see, and I see they agree with you, uh, and it's a matter of conscience for them as well, and their their conscience is being violated by being a part of the SBC, and they know that the right thing to do is, is to leave. Uh, but their churches aren't necessarily on board. The 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 person sitting in the pew, they don't understand these issues. I was really, I know it's kind of a long question. I was really surprised to read in your article that you had 100% support from your congregation to, to make this move, to, to agree with you and the other elders there at Praise Mill. What, what would you say to the men out there who are watching us? They, they know the right thing. They know what needs to be done, but their, their congregation isn't on board or they just don't understand these issues enough to be on board. What would you say to that man? How does he, how did you get a hundred percent support? I don't think you can get a hundred percent support from your congregation that the earth is round, but you got, <laughs> you got a hundred percent support. So how did you do it? And what would you say to men who were wondering how to go about doing yeah. what you've done? Yeah, it's a great question, Justin. Well, first of all, uh, th- this is not something that we just brought to the floor for a vote overnight. So this is something that has been in process for the last three years. Um, as we've been uh, hearing of this liberal drift, we've been talking about the capitulation of the SBC. And so since my engagement with the statement on social justice and the gospel back in 2018, all the way to present day, uh, 2022, I've been I've been trying to keep the elders as well as the deacons as well as the members of this church up to speed with what's happening. So each year when I would go to the SBC, we would come back and I would give a meeting uh, and, and a and a and an overview, if you will, of um, the the happenings of the SBC, what's going on, what um, what what's the good and what's the bad, what's something that we should be concerned about. Mm-hmm. And then as we continue to watch the, the controversy of it, of the social justice movement to continue to increase, I sought as a pastor to not drag that baggage into the pulpit every single week. And I asked the elders of this church to hold me accountable to that so that every illustration, culturally speaking, was not somehow landing in the social justice arena. Yeah. And so, but once once we got to a certain point and we finished up our series through Romans, we determined that it would be necessary to, to address the social justice controversy. So I preached a series on social justice and the gospel. I held, I held meetings here in the life of the church, answered questions, answered emails, and just sought to educate the church. Mm-hmm. After the adoption of resolution nine um, founders ministries put out, a documentary by what standard. And it was basically just giving an overview of what happened in that whole debacle. So we held a meeting here at the church one evening and we watched that once it was released. 
and then did a Q&A for the members of the church to talk. And so after watching that, they had already been hearing about the problems that were, you know, increasing and picking up speed in the SBC. And so after we watched that film, uh, when we opened the floor for Q&A, I fielded the questions. And one of the elderly women of the church, who's in her 90s, stands up in the back of the room and she says, Pastor Josh, it breaks our heart to hear this this evening, but if it is true, and if it comes to the point where we have to leave the SBC, it will not be that we left the SBC, but that the SBC left us. And when she said that, you could hear amens across the room and and people agreeing with her statement. And it was a very powerful moment. And so we moved beyond that, of course, through the next couple of years. And, and we've just been trying to be patient with the church and educate them, always remembering that the whole church doesn't have the capability of attending all of the meetings or going to the annual meetings mm-hmm. and having all of the conversations. They're not in the room with us when we have all of these different talks with different leaders and that sort of thing. So we just wanted to be very careful and not to just yank the church in a direction just based upon the knowledge that we had as leaders, but always being sensitive to the fact that our church had been supportive of the SBC causes for so long um, that we wanted to be clear and articulate with the rationale to separate. And so I think, honestly, it was the work of the elders of this church and the members being patient with one another and seeking to learn is this or is this not really a, a line of separation? And so for us, we determined that it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So educate your, if you're a pastor, educate your folks, talk about these things. You know, it's it's not going to be an overnight deal. It's going to take some time, it took some time for you. Yeah. but it, And if I could add yeah. something, Justin, I would say that one of the big questions that we needed to be able to answer rightly is, you know, how are we going to continue to cooperate with other churches? How are we going to be able to engage in mission work and church planting? And how are we going to still support Christian education? And so for us, we had an answer to that. And we do believe that one of the strengths of the SBC through the years uh, has been cooperation, you know, churches coming together, cooperating together, And you can always do more collectively than one individual church can do all by itself. And so one of the the providential developments in recent days and and months has been the development and the rise of G3 Ministries and the, the G3 Church Network. And so we're a part of that network, which is not mutually exclusive. You don't have to just be a part of the G3 Church Network and then separate from all other networks. So we have people who are part of the SBC and the G3 Church Network. But for us, we were able to give our church an answer and say, well, cooperation is good, but you know, we predate the SBC by three years. So we can actually fulfill the Great Commission and support Christian education apart from the SBC. Right. But how is that possible? And so do we have an answer for that? And for us, we we do because we can cooperate with other like-minded churches within the G3 Church Network. We have mission agencies and groups that we're connected to, like Heart Cry Missionary Society, International Church Planters, ICP. 
So we have other avenues of engagement and partners in ministry. And then, of course, with the Master's Seminary and the Master's University for Christian Education, as well as a few other friends that we partner with for theological education. We had, you know, substantive answers that we could give to the church. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that was going to be my next question, actually. So I'm glad you answered that, Josh. And, and uh, I know because I, I was born and reared in the SBC. When you when you're when you're born into that, when you're reared in that, that that's your paradigm, right? I mean, you just can't imagine doing church outside of those parameters when that's all you've known. But what I've discovered in the last eleven years is that it, it, you you can you <laughs> you can that God does not need the SBC. Um, our church cares about missions. We support missionaries. We just don't do it through the cooperative program. We're not SBC, but you can still do missions and you can send men to, to good seminaries, non SBC seminaries. And so the work of the gospel goes on. Um, and I, I want to say to you, Josh, and, and other like-minded pastors, I, you know, all of us in our theological circles, we would say, we have a high view of the sovereignty of God. We would say that, yeah, we're, we know that one day we're going to, to give an account to Christ for, for what we've done. But I, but sometimes I wonder how many of us really do believe that. Um, some do, you do, John MacArthur does, you know, there, uh, some of these names that we're familiar with that, but one day, Josh, you and I, we're not going to stand before a denomination. We're not going to stand before a committee. I'm not going to have to answer to a committee or denomination, whatever denomination that is. We're, we're going to have to stand before Christ. And um, so I, I appreciate your faithfulness and uh, commitment to the truth of God's word and knowing that we've got, we have an audience of one, right? We've got one person that we've got to please. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And thank you for that kind words, Justin. I feel the same about you, brother. I will say that, you know, leaving the SBC is one thing, um, but I don't treat it like exiting church membership. I, I have church yeah. membership on yeah. one level and denominational affiliation on a whole different level. I think a lot of these men who are champions of the SBC almost put affiliation in the SBC at at least the same level as church membership, and I would just reject that. Absolutely, yeah. So we, we need to have a higher view of church membership than we do some sort of denominational affiliation. If the denomination goes to the left, we don't have to. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's, it's a very freeing thing. That's been my experience in the last 11 years. It's a, it's a very freeing thing. Um, I mean, I'm aware of what's going on in the SBC, but, but, I but it's very freeing for me to know that I'm, that I, I don't, I'm not entrapped by those things anymore. You know, it doesn't have any bearing on our church or what we do and um, gospel work goes on. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Josh, thank you very much brother for your time and uh, for your courage and uh, your encouragement to other pastors that I know are watching right now. Uh, As we close out, how can, how can people find out more about, Praise Mill, maybe if they live in the Northwest Atlanta area or uh, G3. Sure. Yeah, so Praise Mill Baptist, located uh, about 25 miles west of the city of Atlanta. You can find us at Praise Mill 
g3ministries.com. And then, of course, there's G3 Ministries. That's g3men.org. And, of course, there's a, a ton of information on there, as well as uh, information about the G3 Church Network and biblical worship workshops, preaching workshops, conferences, and, and all sorts of blog articles. We just released our first uh Portuguese article today. We have uh, a new platform for that, and as as well as uh, uh, almost two new unique articles every day coming out of G3 Ministries. Scott Annual, our vice president and editor in chief, is doing a, a wonderful job, and we have G3 Press just getting started with lots of good resources that are about to come available. So you'll want to find out more information there. Okay. All right, Josh. Thank you so much, brother. Blessings to you and to the saints there at Praise Mill. Thank you, Justin. God bless. Okay, dear ones, thank you so much for watching. Until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.